Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hello and welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is Deacon Jacob. And this is Father Mike. And this was really Pulling formal. up my chair. Yeah. I, uh, I jumped the gun on the uh, start. You weren't quite ready. You weren't set. I'm ready. I know you're ready, but you weren't quite set into the table. Here I am, Lord. All right. <laughs> I come to do your... Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Uh, how's the volume, though? I did, I did just sit down, folks. Yeah. Happy to roll in. Volume's good, I think. You talk a little louder than me, so maybe I I'll, do? I'll turn myself up. Or maybe up. closer to the microphone. Definitely well, yeah, closer okay. to the microphone. Is that breaking the fourth... What is the fourth wall? Uh, the fourth wall is the... Well, it's a film term or a stage term. And it's when you engage the audience into your scene. So if you're on stage and you start uh, addressing the audience, you've broken the fourth wall. Because the idea is the, there's three walls of a stage, and that open wall that we're all looking into, the characters pretend that's just a wall because they don't acknowledge the audience as being I present. See. they got to stay in their world. So then when they break the fourth wall, they're addressing the, uh, with the knowledge that they're being observed. Is there a term for this? I, I guess that's not the right term that I'm looking for then. Is there a term when all the actors are on stage, the show is going, I don't know, guys and dolls. <laughs> what is it? West Side Story. I, I'm trying to think of the ones in, from high school. Um, Carmen. That's the, probably the most recent I've seen. Or there was one cool one that I saw um, that was about the Temptations. You know that band? Oh, I know the band, but yeah. I don't know the play. Oh, right. But, but there was a play recently at the Buell. Uh, anyway, what would it be called when the show is going on and then one of the techs wanders on the stage to go <laughs> kind of fix something or like uh, the, the, the set design fell down or a microphone doesn't work and they just... So you, you kind of... I think that's see, called... You all of a sudden yeah, see I that it's not a, real. A mess up. You're like engaged <laughs> in the story. Um, well, that, that's breaking. You have... Uh, in a sense, suspended your disbelief. You've entered into the story. You've accepted it. Uh-huh. And now you're being just brought back to reality. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that you're just watching a play. All right. I'm watching the play. Uh, I, I just feel like, yeah, it's a mess up when we talk about our technology. and. Oh, we're just inviting people into the studio. Sound levels. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're in your car right now, <laughs> then you can shout yay or nay. <laughs> and we won't hear it, but... It'll help you feel better. Do you shout in your car? Do you sing in your car? I have. I sing in my car. Uh, I have shouted in my car. One of my favorite things to do, I don't always listen to music. I try and take music fast uh, here and there. And sometimes I think it's really fun to dance or drum in my car at a red oh, yeah. light with no music going because I think there's something hilarious to the fact that they are watching me through the window thinking I'm just rocking out to some song and there's no music. What about this? Know. What if we, can you make a kit or make a car? Hey, Tesla, this is your next generation <laughs> that has a built-in drum kit so Ooh. that when you're stopped. You actually get to play. You are banging on your, <laughs> yeah, and you're banging on your, your wheel and then the kind of sides, <laughs> the armrest. Each, uh, each part of your car is actually a drum pad. Yeah, exactly. And then you got toms and you got the hi-hats and everything. I know everything. some friends who would love, De- Deacon David Hall would love that. But it doesn't work when you're moving. Yeah, you, of course not. Okay. Safety first. Unless you have a Tesla's auto drive on, then you can just drum away. Oh, that's a patent. So whoever's <laughs> making money on that, Lock send it. a little donation to Catholic <laughs> stuff you should know. Oh, how you been since uh, Hut Trip? How have I been since Hut Trip? Um, well, I love Hut Trip, so that's uh, fun and refreshing. And it's, there's something very unique about the way that you can interact with people. And I think it's really a joy to be on the hut trip, to be out in nature, to be off the grid and to kind of do nothing and maybe everything together that is playing cards and <laughs> Paradoxical. Cook, cooking meals. And Yeah, all the major work is just work to stay alive. Uh, as Deacon David said, it's just a big process of changing the temperature of things. Yeah, Stoking cool. the fire, heating up food. Putting food in the cooler, cooling it off so it doesn't go bad. Uh, warming up water. Yeah. <laughs> cooling down water. It was um, life. And 
maybe is life, but there's more sophisticated methods on this side. Yeah, yeah. so that was fun. And then um, it was great to hear the, the newly ordained deacons preach. Oh, yeah. Um, well, some of them. Three of the guys ordained last summer, and then Deacon David. From what if we just had you give a homily? On air, let's on go air. live. Uh, no. It's not the same thing, no, huh? It's not the same. I am prepping. I'll be, well, not when you hear this, uh, audience land, but from us here in the recording studio, I'll be preaching tomorrow at Mass. So oh, I don't cool. know if you're here for class or not. I'll say a prayer for you. Um, yeah, for the seminary. It's the toughest audience, so they say. Uh, the critical eye of the fellow seminarian. Uh, I feel us. it. <laughs> I, and I, but I don't know. I was thinking, what, would it be harder to preach in front of the priests or the seminarians? Like all the priests in the diocese or the priests yeah. at the seminary? Maybe, like yeah, like at a convocation. We just had a presbyteral meeting, so you see all the priests together. and I think that would be more intimidating. Why is that more intimidating to me than preaching to nuns <laughs> i find it so because they're easy. they also do it uh so they're you, you feel like they're judging you like oh i could have done this better oh the priests the priests yeah uh, or do you find the nuns more intimidating no no the nuns yeah. i find the nuns holier yeah but less intimidating <laughs> and maybe that's connected Be- because they're holier <laughs> they actually just receive yeah. what you have to say as if god is speaking to them <laughs> well and they're in providence they're just patient yeah and they're delightful and thoughtful. So maybe they, I think part of the craft of receiving a homily is this sort of um, sifting process where I'm listening to everything and I'm letting whatever is supposed to hit, Mm. hit. And then I can chew on that or I can take that and let my mind fly. And, but not rushing it too fast. Yeah. You know, but sometimes there's an image, sometimes there's a word for you, sometimes there's a story, sometimes there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And if you can muse on that and receive that. Yeah. I think the cool thing about the homily as a liturgical act, um, the Holy Spirit's present, He's working. Mm-hmm. And so I think exactly that. You could prepare a 20 minute homily or a five minute homily or whatever it might be. And not all of that is going to be for every single person. There might be one person there who it's for every everything that you say is for them. But somebody else, it might just be like one little yeah. one-off, or maybe you get something uh, while you're up there, kind of a little thought, and you throw that in, and that's for somebody else. And then this person has this sections for them, Yeah, and it kind of comes back. Preview, uh, I am going to use the St. Ephraim analogy of Scripture as a mirror tomorrow i oh, think oh dog but, anything ephraim yeah. <laughs> anything ephraim <laughs> i praise ephraim, you ephraim the syrian but thank you uh, he often uses this image of scripture being a mirror that when you read scripture it reflects you back hmm. and so uh if you have ugliness and uh, viciousness and anger and something in your soul when you're reading scripture it will reflect that back to you uh if you have virtue and goodness uh, in your soul and you're reading scripture will reflect it back to you now that could happen to either of us at any time or any of us at any time right so he says scripture mirrors back your soul because you will respond to it Mm. in a different way depending on the state of your soul and you can see yourself and somehow clearly see yourself you can and and the the more knowing yourself is a big part of his life's project and your if your soul is already beautiful like in a mirror you look and you continue to beautify further Mm. Uh, but if it's vicious, it's like you actually are going to turn away, but you're like, oh, man, I got to do something about that. It's like when I step on the, the scale after the winter of not working out, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I need to run again. <laughs> um, it reflects back to me what I've been. <laughs> it's so important, too, because I think our own perception of self can be really distorted. Oh, you yeah. know, there's, there, you know, there's kind of um, body dysmorphia, that um, people think that they're, th- for example, like the eating disorders, the anorexia mm-hmm. and bulimia ones are like an obvious example where people will think that they're fat and they're like they're real not. skinny, yeah. like Skeletor. And it's, but it's in, it's in the mind. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not judging or being hard on, on that particular mental yeah. disorder, but I'm just saying like we have other versions of that where mm-hmm. I think I'm worse than I am. Mm-hmm. 
And then yeah. I read scripture and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm right side. <laughs> yeah. I'm, this isn't wishful thinking or exaggerated about how, mm-hmm. my goodness, but I do see something that enlightens me. Yeah. See, like real it's perspective. Not, it's not just, oh, I think I'm better than I. It's not always just pride yeah. and I'm worse. Like a lot of times we think we're terrible. Right. And then we read something and it's like, no, I, <laughs> before, before uh, you were in the womb, I knew you. And, yeah. And I chose you and I anointed you. You know, it's That's like beautiful. that you can have both and reflecting back the truth. Is it ever like yourself. a circus mirror? Ooh, I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe some of the Hopefully wisdom not. literature gets a little like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But yeah, that's, uh, I'm going to tie that in a little bit. So that'll be fun. Oh, I had my birthday. You did? Yeah. 40 years old. Happy 40 birthday. years old. I turned March 16th. And so there was been some festivities and yep. well wishing, a lot of um, contemplation, just sort of rolling around in my head and. Um, some feedback from people and it was or has been I don't know what if this will continue but the uh, birthday week itself has been um, deep there's a lot there to unpack and chew on and take interest in but hopefully mostly gratitude you know my sister just praised me she just texted me to say I here's one thing I love about you because people have been, that's so nice. People have been saying, here's, you know, some things I love. And she said, I admire that you have learned how to take a 12-minute nap and get refreshed by it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need to learn that. I, right. It took a lot of practice. Because I, t- I go down for a 12-minute nap, and it turns into a two-hour nap. Yeah. So I, I think that's so common, discipline. huh? Uh, well, that's our topic today. You're 40. No, that's not our topic. Whoa. But <laughs> <laughs> You're 40 years old, we celebrated. I jumped in, uh, I think it was your Greek class, to sing happy birthday Yay, to you. Yay, thank you. Thank um, you for that. So I felt uh, some camaraderie, collegiality, having the freedom to disrupt your class. I don't uh, know what to do. <laughs> Tell me, when, when people are singing your birthday song, what are you supposed to do? Uh, Smile, sing along. Sing along and say happy birthday to me as loud as you can. I don't Dance, know. Dance, um, clap. Sit there awkwardly. I think that's the universal posture. Yeah. Blush. Just sit there awkwardly. Feign like you don't want it, even if you do. Um. Look over your shoulder sarcastically. <laughs> Feign like you don't want it, even though you want it. I, that sounds like my birthday. <laughs> uh, 40 years old. You, we've been reading uh, Dante's Inferno, Purgatorio Paradiso, um, in eschatology. Not all of it, but sections. And he, at the the middle of his life, finds yeah. himself in the wood. Do you find that? Are you, do you still think you're in the middle of your life or still on the uphill? Are we well on I the downhill? I really don't know how to, how to <laughs> judge that. I do think there are ways that I'm seeing myself in the middle of life. Like when I, when I look at those who are finishing college, starting a career, that kind of age, they seem like kids to me. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be an old man. This is just in reality. I look mm-hmm. at that and I say that was a while back. And then I look ahead or I just feel myself like just, you know, how do I feel? And it seems young. Yeah. So I, I don't know. And I kind of don't care. I like, like the eternal perspective that how old am I? 40 years compared to eternity, I'm like a day. I'm like an, I'm <laughs> a little an baby. hour, like a minute. You know, <laughs> aren't there like bugs who live for a few minutes? <laughs> Done. Yeah, I think that's that's our life. And as profound as it is, it's uh, kind of fleeting, right? Yeah. In short. It's a bit relative, you know, especially in context with eternity. And uh, I always laugh because when I was a kid, you know, one summer at seven years old feels like forever. Yeah. Because it's, you know, it's maybe one fifteenth of my life at that time. And now a summer's gone in like, you know, what seems like a blink because it's a little bit more of your life. That's my theory of, of yeah, time. time displacement. Time as is you strange, get older. but I've lived such a rich life. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. That I, you know, I'm content and I think there's some changing. I want to focus less on experiences and adventure 
and focus more on relationships. Hmm. I feel like there's a turn and maybe a shift in priorities or interests or something like that. Yeah. So there was a birthday and then today was homily day in Luke and Acts class. And yeah. that was a joy. I, I was love next it. door. I kept hearing all the claps every four or five minutes. Yay! Did anybody go super long this time? Did you have to cut. No, them off? but there was a couple of guys. No, they were. Yeah. I really <laughs> drilled it into them that you're not going over three minutes. And there were a couple of guys though that were like 90 seconds. Mm. And I don't know what to do with that part because so. I really railed at them about don't go over, don't go over, don't go over. Yeah, give me a little bit more. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> seriously under. Half the allotted time. What's better, over or under? I tried to direct them toward over. Um, I mean, under is better. Okay. That's why they did. But they did great. I shouldn't just, whatever. This is kind of obsessing (laughs) about the timing. Absolutely. I should praise them because they gave really great short homilies. And there's so much insight, man. You, I've been studying this for a very long time. I consider myself kind of a creative thinker. And... It was like every other homily was like, what? I never even considered that. And it's so obvious and simple. Yeah. I had that. My first homily, I had a couple people come up and say, wow, I never really thought about that part of the mass that way or this. And I was like, that's cool. Because it's been, you know, for me, that's five, six, seven-year-old idea. But for somebody else, it can still be new. And I think that's the cool thing about sharing, um, sharing on the podcast, sharing in homilies, just talking with friends. Um when you see the like the excitement in somebody else of like rediscovering something new, it kind of reinvigorates your oh yeah, there's more to discover. Yeah, I think sometimes, especially if you've been sitting in classrooms for the last five and a half years, uh, like somebody I know, um, you're kind of like, all right, what's well, new? Yeah, <laughs> and or you get a little life. Jaded to I it, feel a little jaded, just generally speaking. So when other people get excited or you get excited, I think that probably reinvigorated those guys to cool to study more. Well, can I share one of them? Sure. I think, um, I don't, I was careful to do this. I, this is not a topic. This is not from my mind. This is Connor Campanic. <laughs> and I thought it was really cool. There were several. So sorry, guys, if you listen or run into it that uh, I was really you know, blown away by. But one of them was this very simple idea that who is our model of prayer? Well, Jesus and Mary, right? And then he made a point of, when I go into prayer, do I pray like Mary? When I go into prayer, am I thinking frequently about my own sin and fallenness and brokenness? Because she wasn't. Mm. She never did. (laughs) She never did. She was thinking of praising God, thanking God, honoring God. And, you know, that just wasn't a reality for her. And I thought, what? (laughs) Never thought about that. I'm going to try to pray like that, you know? It just seems so simple. Praise God and be ready to receive. Apologies if I yeah. misrepresented that idea, but I think that's the. I think that's what he was saying. <laughs> All right, I just keep rambling on. No, that's good. There's, uh, I think the listener land loves our podcast because we just ramble and there's no real topic, and we just not always. <laughs> that's right. No, um, I mean, right. I do enjoy it because it's just kind of what. What are you thinking about? I've got a stack of books to my left. We're not going to talk about any of those, but it's all Holy Spirit. Uh, and I'm going to be writing my thesis, kind of doing uh, a look on the Holy Spirit, how the mission of the Holy Spirit interplays with the mission of Christ, um, and then what that looks like lived out now in the church and in Mm. each individual soul. That's the big scope. I've got a zero in on that. Is Um, this a Steubenville thing? No, I just talked no. to a Steubenville guy. Um, They're all about, it's funny, so you like, know, I'm Rosie told me, don't shove the dove. <laughs> well, I think you've brought, did, we had a podcast, I think, sure. titled Don't yeah, Shove the Dove. Yeah, there's probably a million. Um, yeah, Steubenville, well known for being charismatic. Um, so there's definitely an element of that. But yeah, just trying to, I'm trying to dig in to how the Holy Spirit works in the church, in individual souls. Um, just try to understand for myself, for my own um understanding, but also for kind of extrapolating pneumatology out in the Western church. Um, Vatican II called for kind of a, a re-engagement, a rediscovery of pneumatology. Totally. The East, um, especially the, the Eastern church fathers, were really have a lot to say on, on the Holy Spirit. Um, 
It was later in church history that the Holy Spirit had uh, more of a kind of a doctrinal development because mm-hmm. the, the early heresies were all about Christ. Uh, what's his humanity look like? What's his divinity look like? How does that relate? Who's, you know, who's Christ? Who's the divine person? Um, so we kind of worked all that out, and the Holy Spirit got a little bit of treatment with that. But really with Vatican II, they're basically saying, like, hey, we need to really dive back into the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so let's pay attention. Hopefully uh, being in the mind of the church with the, the thesis. So. And I'm interested in that idea of mission. Certainly in Luke and Acts, I've got Acts on the mind, of yeah. course, uh, the Holy Spirit is guiding the church, um, interacting with individuals, and leading some individuals from outside in and some from inside out, kind of directing where to go and what to do and then inspiring them to do it and all of these mission things. And then there's different angles you could take, of course. You could talk about the Holy Spirit as the um, divine indwelling and the effects of the Holy Spirit in forming virtue and like moral character and everything. But mission is very interesting. I, I look yeah. forward to I think there's hearing one, what uh, you have to say. Father Dave Pavanka loves the image of, he's the president of Steubenville now, and he did a series titled this, but he loves the uh, the Holy Spirit is the wild goose. And like the wild goose is loose, I think was what he called Whoa. it. And you never know which way they're going to fly. Uh, the kinda, wild goose. Um so Jesus there's some, there's, uses a similar image, but he says, like, the wind blows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the same idea, but you're not quite sure where, where the Spirit's going to go, where it's going to lead. you got to kind of be on your toes, follow. I love it. Um, we had uh, Father Drendel used to talk about Tricky Yahweh, <laughs> and that was, yeah, similar. Which I think speaks to the souls uh, like yours and mine, um, who like a little bit of uh, spice, spice, divine adventure. spontaneity. yeah. Um, not as much about, you know, strict understandings, rigid system, uh, which we need because we need the, the fence to play in and know that we're not going yeah, too yeah. far. <laughs> it's true. But, yeah. Um, Rules are helpful. So guidelines. Um, question. What were some lessons? Cause we were talking about this while we were hiking out. Okay. What were some lessons from the hut trip? Oh yeah. You said we've got like three podcasts worth of lessons. I from know. The hut trip. Well, or material. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, lessons from the HUD trip. Look down the your line. Figure out your line. Hmm. So if you're going to ski a tree run, then you should you should stop. This is true about moguls too. Look down the fall line of the mountain and try to see some turns that are options for you so that not everything is so spontaneous that you'll be surprised by a whole clump of trees that just hits you all of a sudden. <laughs> That's bad news. Yep. And you have the freedom then if you've, if you've looked ahead to turn harder, do some adventurous stuff, go faster. And I would say the same thing with night skiing that you got to look, look ahead. You know, you have nothing to fear necessarily or not any more to fear in the dark <laughs> than in the light. But you still should be smart enough to look ahead to see if there's trees or stumps. Mostly yeah. stumps, right? This came from we, uh, the two of us and Jonathan Francois went out one night to do a, a night ski run back down to the, oh, yeah. the hut. So you have a lamp on your head called a headlamp. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and, uh, and then there was the light of a full moon. Yeah, and super And between bright. the two, you can yeah ski in what would otherwise be the dark. Yeah, really, I mean, even with the headlamps off, you could see the the whole run. I think it's the, yeah, it's the little stumps that'll trip you up. Yeah. Little little demon gremlins analogously or something. Well, and you yeah. just got to trust your feet. Yeah. Which is a little bit feel it, intimidating. Feel the you know? snow. Uh, my lesson was um, clip your ski boots from walk mode into ski mode before you yeah. go down. <laughs> Especially when you have a pack on. <laughs> So what happened? Trust your gear uh, when your gear is put on properly. Oh, I, I neither looked down my line, and then I left my skis in walk mode. So I had way too much give and flex, so the skis weren't going to respond to my turn. And then I had, you know, whatever, 45, 50 pounds in my backpack, um, which throws off your center of gravity. And so I kind of made this turn and came around, and then I saw some trees because I didn't look at my line, and I had to kind of turn around them, and I kind of tried to slow myself up and because my boots weren't responsive um, when I was going fast they were fine 
but in the slower motion, the boots were just getting stuck. And then I just kind of like froze and then like kind of fell and uh, my body uh, kind of fell uh, into the powder, kind of in a tree, tree well. I got the pack. Oh, you got me. in a tree well. <laughs> yeah. So then I've got to dig out with my skis and my pole. I got to you know get the skis off and get my poles crossed so I can kind of push up on them and get myself. <laughs> it's hard to get up out of powder, man. <laughs> and this is literally at the end of our hike in, we had kind of hiked up and then you ski down the backside of the ridge to the hut. I had maybe 75 yards to the hut at this point yeah. is where I'd fallen. <laughs> hey man, that's, and, and it's such a little thing. Yep. It's a flip a switch. Yep. And it'll keep you from fun. crashing and ruining your day, and yeah. it won't ruin your day. Not up there. I don't know. There's one more lesson. Spiritual analogy for that is. Well, but, I was uh, wondering if I we guess need, like like you pray. You need to have one. Actually, commit. You know, <laughs> remember to pray. Do your do your hours. <laughs> yeah, click the click. <laughs> when you go through the adventure of life yeah. and the ardor and the journey, the, my other lesson. But now that you say that, I don't know what the spiritual analogy is. Is. Uh, that you just get up and pee. I'm <laughs> sleeping, and then but I, it's cold. I wake up. I got an old man bladder, and <laughs> this is true about camping in any case. But it's usually cold, and you're kind of comfy. But now you're not comfy. But I always think, oh, I'll just fall back asleep. <laughs> just wait it out. Just wait it out, Mike. And it doesn't work. I'm sitting there restless, turning, and then finally you just got to get up and go. And then you come back and you're fine. And if you just, if you just do it, <laughs> then it's not as cold as I expected. Yeah. It's not as uncomfortable. It's faster, you know. There yeah. was an out, there's an outhouse at the hut, so you, have to you, walk outside. you do have to go outside. So it's cold. Um, I'm sure we could make an analogy there, but I don't want to. I got one. Go for it. If you feel like your conscience is burdened, just go to confession. <laughs> just go. Take care of it. Just go take the care fear, of it. You will be restless if you don't. The pain of going to the confession is the fear of going outside in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> but you're going to feel better afterwards. Yeah, and you're not going to – it's going to bother you the whole time. <laughs> go relieve yourself. <laughs> Does that work? I don't know. Maybe that's crass, but here you go. Um, my next lesson, uh, trust your partner. Yeah. When you're playing cards. But you also need to learn how to communicate. <laughs> yeah. Non-verbally uh, so you can cheat. No. Um, trust your partner. What cards we're, you we're play? Playing, we played a lot of euchre. Um, and you just got to trust that your partner is going to pick it up, you know. And not every time it happens. But ev- more often than not, you play bold. You trust your partner. Your partner picks you up. Yeah. You make good decisions, but you can lean on your partner. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to have the perfect hand yourself. You got a partner. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> Who's your partner in this lesson of life? Uh, David Hall, I think, is the the one I played. The He's most a good with. card player. Um, yeah, we had we had a good. We should have stopped. We we had beaten Father John and uh, I think Dylan. I can't remember. I now. think I got beat by you too. Um, Maybe I was playing with Francois. And then we just kind of let it. We kept going. I will do best of five, and then we lost. So yeah, quit when you're ahead. That's another quit when you're ahead. <laughs> there you go. Trust your partner. I like that too. I think um, you could say that about, well, I mean, married people should say that too. Like you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be able to do anything. And then generally speaking, we can all trust Christ. You know, we're going to try our best. We're going to work with the hand that we got, but the other guy's got to come through and probably (laughs) will. (laughs) That brings us to our topic. Here we go. Trust. Can you trust in God? No, this actually comes about uh, a friend of mine recently asked, um, a friend of hers was kind of struggling with faith, uh, had lived, you know, a very active faith, been involved with the church, um, kind of got out of those practices a bit, still Catholic, but now kind of questioning the waves, the winds of culture kind of. Uh, crashing over her and she's thinking oh do I really believe I'm really struggling but she had enough um, she has enough love and and humility I think to uh, reach out to this friend of mine and kind of say I'm struggling I don't know where I'm at Um, you know I'm kind of worried what do I do what do you think Um, and I think that's more of a experience um, that we have over time not not everybody some people never have doubts never have um, 
wandering hearts or anything, uh, faithful uh, from day one to the end. But I think a lot of us experience those kind of moments of needing to persevere in faith. And they're kind of a, a precipice point where maybe you, maybe you head down the other side of the mountain. Um, and uh, I think as I was talking to her, um, there was a you know, I, I was trying to explain, you know, I don't know where her, where she's coming from. I don't know if she heard something or had a bad experience with somebody at the church or the priest or, you know, I don't, I don't know where she's at psychologically, whatever. If she's struggling with something particular, um, kind of on her conscience that might be pushing her away. I was kind of going through all the possibles because yeah, I didn't right. have a big, a big uh, story um, or backstory. And then another friend of mine that was on the call just said, you know what? Don't don't discount just how hard it is to live a Christian life uh, faithfully in the world today. It doesn't have to be a particular um, big thing. Just kind of like over time, there's all these cultural narratives, and faith is um, irrational and pointless and self medicating and restrictive or whatever it might be that you kind of let get in and just kind of chew away at. Uh, at your your faith, and eventually you're like, why do I even believe this? Is this even worth it? Is this good for me? And what it kind of turned to was, okay, this might not be like a problem of scandal or even a problem of like grave sin or something. It's just a, a problem of trust. Mm. Can God be trusted? Can the church be trusted? Especially when so much in the world is kind of undermining trust in God, trust in faith, trust in the church. Um, Donna, what do you think of that? I think it's extraordinarily important and relevant. As you're saying, I think having been a priest for 12 years and interacting with a lot of people about God and about, we call it the faith, you know, and um, that's tr trust. You know, faith is another word for trust. And I've seen... And in my own experience, for sure, um, I've seen just the importance, really the f the fundamental importance of trust and the adventure of life as a Christian. I do think it's I do think it's hard. I tell people a lot that what, what the the letter to the Hebrews says, um, perseverance is kind of the chief virtue of Christianity, and you can't persevere without help. You know, we have grace. We have the re recourse to divine faith, and then we cultivate that divine faith, any theological virtue, um, trust. And even from baptism, maybe I'll point out that at ba baptism, you ask the parents, and what do you ask for little Frankie? What do you ask the church for little Frankie? And you can answer one of two things. Faith or baptism. Yeah. Which are kind of analogous in a lot of ways. Yeah. And then you make a profession of faith yeah. when before you're baptized, whether that's your parents mm -hmm. you know, making it on your behalf or whether you're at the Easter Vigil and you say, I believe in God, one God, the Father Almighty. And then, okay, so that's one. That's like assent to propositions. And then there's the trust of, I know that God will carry me through this. Mm -hmm. I think that this is true, or I sort of commit my life as though it were true, is the trust. Um, these, I'm going to stay vulnerable, and that means it takes some risks. I'll take some risks. Um, I have to assess all the time and be aware of grace to, to, to demonstrate or to acknowledge that God has been faithful to me and that God is trustworthy. But it's hard to remember things. Yeah. You know, things That's where the memory elusive. comes in. Um, the Shema o Israel, remember Israel. That's right. And this is what the, Listen, hear, uh, see. the Israelites were told to tell their, their children <laughs> what God has done. Um, and, you know, we see Israel 40 days later after they get brought out of Egypt. Uh, Moses is up on the mountain 40 days, 40 nights, and they've forgotten. <laughs> They're already like, oh, right, let's build yeah. ourselves a God. 
Um, and the whole religion is anamnesis. It's mm-hmm. remembering. Remembering. And so I think that the memory is a key, and I think we can... Um, I mean, part of, part, I think part of why it's so hard in the contemporary world is we don't, we don't set time to remember, to contemplate. It's, you know, one, one experience to the next. I mean, we're, we're peddling experiences now. Um, even, even the stuff, like I was big into Instagram. I loved sharing photos, photographer. But there was something about always having to post the next to get the current affirmation. Um, and it wasn't, the photos were no longer about the memory which was a totally different experience than when I was a kid and got into photography. I loved pulling out my mom's old uh, boxes of photographs that they had from her childhood and then like our younger years of our childhood. And so looking back and seeing like, oh, that was me when I was three. Like I don't even have any memory of me at three in my mind, but I've got this photo that reminds me of that Christmas. Um, whereas like now it's just so kind of passingly consumable that we don't, remember in it um so i think taking that time to remember uh, to think back of the good things i one of one of the homilies i preached to the guys at my house um a little bit ago was like i think it was it was about it was is in exodus moses kind of says uh, here's the law follow the law don't uh don't break any of this law but remember what god has done and so it's like doing the law, but also remembering what God has done. And it connects why we follow the law, why we do the things we do, why we have liturgical rites, why we um, you know, have structures around the faith. It's because we're responding to what God has done. And it's, it's our way of worship, our way to give him glory. Um, but that remembering, and if we're not remembering in it, then we're just being kind of legalistic and rigid. I'm just following these things because I'm told I have to, and there's no relationality to it anymore. So I think it's funny that you earlier said, you know, you're trying to grow more in relationship than in experience. Um, now, do you, now, how satisfying is it to you? Because sometimes when I hear, remember Israel, remember what God has done for us, it's like, yeah, fine, <laughs> for, the, what, for the whole community or in the past for a bunch of other people. Yeah. And am I supposed to stake my own trust on what God has done for other people. I can look around and say, well, that's great. And I acknowledge, you know, that person had experienced this conversion and was set free from this Mm -hmm. sin. Or I have seen God do great things for, for the church or for his own name, like making the sun dance and then (laughs) 2000 people, whatever thousands of people, come to a faith or are blown away and amazed. And then I say, well, I don't know providence. And so even if I say, well, I know God's going to, going to take care of me. I don't know when that's going to happen and I need it soon or I need it now or my doubts are happening now or my discouragement. I think that the, one of the devil's greatest tricks, two of them are fear and discouragement. Mm -hmm. And, but we're faced with that and challenged with that. And it's like, I think I, it, it, I've watched the trust fall. You remember the trust fall <laughs> where you, yeah, you close your eyes and you've got your team that's waiting for you to catch you on the, on the other side. And I've seen it happen. I participated in it, catching other people and I've seen it work so many times, but then I'm up there and it's like, are they still there? Are they? <laughs> and that's just such a simple kind of Do they of actually like setup. me? Are they going to drop me? But with the rest of life and the spiritual life, it's like, I don't know. I don't know if, can I trust other people? Especially when your experiences of relationships break down yeah. and there's, there's trust betrayed or mm-hmm. there's um, difficulties you meet up against and you say, I wanted to trust that person, but they've failed me. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes harder to trust, generally speaking. Yeah, it's by no means easy. I think seeing other people's, seeing what God has done for the church in history, in saints, in other people, is good. It can re-encourage. Does and, it encourage you, though? It does. Is that where you go? It does. Not always. You're like, God, uh, you, you 
converted the mind of St. Augustine. <laughs> but so often, yeah, I'm I mean, hopeful. Often I do go to the saints and I say, okay, I, I can have faith in that. I make it an act of entrustment. Where the discouragement more rolls in for me is when it seems like it's, it's ongoing. And it's, I'm like, all right, God, I'm, you're going to take care of this, right? And then it's like two weeks later, you're going to take care of this, right? Yeah. Where are you? A year later, where are you? And, and I can imagine, I mean, I haven't, thank God, had the experience of, of three, four, five years of kind of ongoing desolation and discouragement. Um, but I think Satan really can get in with that lie of, um, I've now gone, whatever, two months, two years, five years, and I'm waiting, and I've been trusting, and I want, like, God, I trust you're going to do something. And I know you've done it to this person and that person in the past, and I see my friends, and I was like, wow, it seems like you came through there. Why not me? Why not now? And that's, what I think, where the the lie gets in of it's never going to happen. He doesn't actually care about you. Mm-hmm. God's not trustworthy. He's actually going to hang out to dry. Everything else is just chance. That person, you know, it wasn't really God. It just, you know, the wheel of fortune turned, and now they're back on the top. And um, I think that's where I see more of the fear of discouragement. I see it, you know, across the board. I see it in um, career frustration, relationship frustration, vocational discernment, um, just persevering in, in any difficult thing, sickness. What about um, um, the idea of setting the right expectations for trust? Sorry, I just got <laughs> um, The right expectations for trust. That's not like emotional, trust, emotional uh, choke up. What do you mean by that? So if I say I am unemployed and I need a job, and I'm going to trust God that he's going to get me that job. And what if he, and then if it doesn't happen, then what do you just kind of punt, punt the, <laughs> kick the can down the road? Or here, maybe here's more of a serious um, or hypothetical that can really mess with people for sure is my son's got cancer mm. and God, I trust that you're going to heal him. And then he dies. Mm-hmm. And then what do you just say? Okay, I trust that everything's going to be okay. Or I trust that I can heal. Or I trust that the this was for our good. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things. Because they don't some, seem to some of these satisfy, things can be like... They don't really satisfy the sorrow that's really there either. Even if you see, even if you can see and, and act like, all right, God, I for his soul, for our family in some way, that this is this will play out that, you know, you had this in your hands uh, and you're good and I trust that you're good. And so if you let this happen, um, I think of... uh, Or somebody like, here's my last example. Um, I want to get married. Yeah, I see it a lot here. And I'm waiting. You could not get married. Yeah. You could not find a spouse. And then somehow, how do you keep trusting? Mm -hmm. Because you you put your hope or you put your expectation yeah. on this is the proof of God's mm-hmm. fidelity to me. I think that's a that's a danger then, um, and it's it's a bit mercenary. It's I, I'm faithful to God and He'll satisfy a desire, rather than He'll fulfill me, um, in in the depths of my soul and in eternity. He's got a bigger plan, um, because I think that's how we we deal with sickness or frustration in vocation or whatever it might be. Um, and I think especially for young people, um, especially 25, 30, 35, you know, where's my spouse? I thought I was supposed to get married. I was going to do, I'm doing the whole good Catholic thing and you know, it's not happening. Well, that, that's not your end. You know, it's, it's a vehicle to an end. It's a, an aid. Um, but it's not, it's not the end, you know? Um, so then what can you trust God with carrying you to your end? Yeah, I think he can trust you that he will bring you uh, to redeemed glory uh, in eternity. And so here's the, the accusation here is then, okay, religion is just the opiate for the masses. Life's hard, so here's a future future heaven that you can look forward to. And uh, so that hope, um, which probably isn't true, uh, at least helps alleviate the pain right now. Um, and it's like, oh, well, what do you do with that? Or like, can I trust God with, um, with specifics? 
I mean, yeah. I think he, he does want us to trust him with specifics and or maybe just pray for them, express mm-hmm. our desires, yeah. but admit that we don't know at the end of the day mm-hmm. what's best for us, but God does care. And another sort of object of trust can be that God won't let us go through anything that we can handle, mm-hmm. you know, and it feels like, oh, I'm getting real close or I'm beyond but God is is trustworthy in that way, that he will save us. Yeah. I think with uh, the way we pray, too, I, I, love, I love the way Mary comes to Jesus at the wedding at Cana. She doesn't say, here's what you have to do. She says, they have no wine. They've run out of wine. <laughs> He's like, what does, this, what does this have to do with me? Yeah. And, and then she just says, okay, yeah, well, I've told you what you want. Now you do whatever he tells you. And then the servants fill the water jugs, and Jesus changes it into wine. Um, similar thing with uh, the Lazarus story that's coming up, or will have just been read when this is, comes out um, at the gospel. Um, the sisters come to Jesus and say, you know, the one you love is dead. Lazarus is dead, or is sick, is sick. And then he comes, and they come out to him and says, he's died, he's died. It's just declaring, you know, this is the situation. He's sick. He's died. Um, and it's, it's not telling him what to do with it um, and trusting that he's going to do something. Um, be it Although in, you remember this thing. If you were here, he, our brother oh, would not have died. Good point. Good point. <laughs> but, so, but Jesus sees yeah. something bigger, right? Yeah. Um, so we, we've got elements of hope where we need to... Uh, Allow, allow the uncertainty, right? Um, I'll share some of my prayer um, recently for some people that were struggling with health, uh, kind of maybe even facing death. I prayed for them, and I said, here's the situation. Um, but I felt kind of a union to them in a, in a different way and in the uncertainty when I said, Lord, if this is their end, it's not just that I want, you know, Lord, if, if you want to heal them, Please heal them. But if this is their end, I also pray that you, you bring them to a good end that is with you, united to you, that um, the suffering, if there is suffering, makes sense, um, can be united in a way that's redemptive. Um, bring, bring them and those around them to you, to faith. Let that be the miracle. Um, and that's a different way to pray because, I mean, mm-hmm. I, get, I get a lot of prayer intentions, help me, you know, pray that I get this job, pray that we, you know, can get pregnant, pray that um, I can find my spouse, pray that, you know, the cancer goes away, pray that whatever it may be. And I do, but I always am also praying. There's, there's, there's that, this weird dance between praying for the particular ask, Lord, uh, would you heal my son? <laughs> you know, this mm. is the Jairus's daughter, you know, like I'm a man under authority. I know that, you know, you can do this. Um, do you, um, I think I got my stories mixed up. That was the Roman centurion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a man under authority. Just say the word. But then Jairus's daughter, you know, he's been watching. He says, Lord, I know. I know that you can. Yeah, they're very similar stories, yeah. Um, so there's the particular ask, but then there's also the, like, Lord, I pray that your will is actually being done in here and that souls will be saved. Because in the end, we have the hierarchy of goods. Love of God, love of uh, your soul, love of your neighbor's soul, love of your neighbor's body, love of your body. That's the, that's the lowest. Mm. And they're all loves. You love all of them. Mm. Just because you love your body last doesn't mean you hate your body. <laughs> sure. But the first thing we're supposed to do is love God. It's priorities, yeah. The second thing we're supposed to do is love our soul, like not put our soul in danger of we should not put ourselves into sin or into the occasion of sin because that's bad for our soul, <laughs> and we should love that. Secondly, our neighbor's eternal soul. We shouldn't be putting them into a place where we're going to, uh, you know, the scandal, the whatever. Then our neighbor's body, we want to take care of the physical needs. And then finally ours. That's the order, the structure of love, mm. right? And so I think that's the way we pray too. Where did you get that? I never heard that. <laughs> but I, uh, I, mean, I can't I remember where I got it. I've gotten yeah. it. It was in a class here recently. I think we've gotten it from one of Father Onho's classes. Yeah, like a moral perspective. Um, but when, if we go into intercession with that, well, I'm going to pray for my neighbor's physical well-being, 
but not at the detriment of his spiritual well-being and not at the detriment of the glory of God. And we we have the reading from um, a couple Sundays ago, or last Sunday for us, was uh, whose sin was was this man? Uh, was it this man or his parents who sinned that he was born mm-hmm. blind? He says it was neither his nor his parents' sin that caused him to be blind. He was blind so that God's glory might be manifested yeah, it's in for him. The glory of God. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, is, does that mean everybody who's born blind? Gets healed? No, that man specifically was born blind so that mm. God's glory could be manifested through him. Somebody else won't, um, but I don't know why they were. Yeah. <laughs> and do we have enough? Do we, can we make that act of faith? Um, yeah, I pray for people. Like you say, yeah, you you pray for them. You pray with them in a very serious way, with the authority as a priest, and then just people's expectations. I don't know that the baptized can't do this. In fact, I wish that this was just a norm, Mm -hmm. that people would pray with faith and pray for healings, miraculous things. But it is that tricky thing where you Mm -hmm. say, Jesus, in your name, we ask for a healing. We ask for a a miracle of healing today. You know, heal them in body, mind, and soul, if it be your your will. But we trust in you, and we know that you you care for them deeply, and you, you love them, and that you will care for them in the way that you see best he asks us to heal and to cast out mm-hmm. demons and there's just a mystery of when how yeah. and it takes serious vulnerability to ask for a miracle of healing mm-hmm. when you're out there i don't care if you're a priest i don't care if you're <laughs> a sort of guru miracle worker I, whatever it is if you're honest this should put the fear of god in you where you're like i don't want to scandalize them yep. by setting up a, a disappointment false expectation and I also or just I don't want to look bad myself. I don't want to look like a fool. <laughs> sure, I don't know. That's very that's very real. And uh, and then I don't want it to challenge my faith yeah. to say, "Am I? Do I really believe this? Or am I just sort of hedging my bets with mm-hmm. this? If it be your will, kind of stuff." <laughs> and so I've got a story about know. that. It's tricky. I was but it's, uh, I was hiking with some friends, and uh, one of them she rolled her ankle, and. Uh, kind of help her get back to the car. And, you know, I was just like, hey, can we can we pray over your ankle, pray for healing? Cause she was hurting pretty good. And she's like, um, I guess, sure. Yeah, she's <laughs> so, like, just give me the car. <laughs> give me some ice. Um, but then I, I started praying with her. I prayed praying for healing, praying for, you know, her ankle to be healed. And um, it didn't. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, the other friend that was there uh, a couple weeks later tells me, yeah, she she was talking about that for like days after that. She's like, what, people actually do that? People believe that? People think like, mm. wow, that was like the faith, even though it didn't have this miraculous healing of her ankle in the moment, um, maybe it helped it heal faster. I don't know. God does his thing. But the vulnerability and the boldness in faith spoke to her. Yeah. And she was talking about it for like a week with my other friend. Like, I can't believe that was so awesome. Like I, that somebody has that faith, like that's helped my faith. And I actually saw her like a decade after this, I'd seen her like two or three times after that fact. And then I hadn't seen her forever. So like a decade after, and she's married, she's got some kids, they're at mass, and she just came up, and she's like, do you remember me? I was like, of course I remember you, and all this. And she was like, oh, it's just so it's so great to see you. Um, and I just, I thought it was so beautiful, you know, that she, at the time, you know, was Catholic, but kind of to see that her faith has continued, and she's living it well, and she's, you know, at mass and passing it on. Um, I'm not saying that's me that did that. Uh, sure. But I participated in a strengthening of her faith by just boldly praying and just saying, like, "God, you are real." Yeah, and I'm going to ask you, and that and, can and come I don't know what you're going to do. The but, prompting of grace. God yeah. probably whispered in your ear yeah. or your soul, <laughs> "Hey, I want you to do something bold for me right now." And it was for a different reason than I thought. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you've I got don't know. the catechism. I have a point about the scriptures and trust. Okay. Well. First, I just wanted to say, uh, the Catechism says, Faith is certain. It is more certain than all human knowledge because it is founded on the very word of God who cannot lie. To be sure, revealed truths can seem obscure to human reason and experience, but the certainty that the divine light gives is greater than that which the light of natural reason gives. 
10,000 difficulties do not make up one doubt. Mm. Um, so faith is certain because faith in revelation is certain because of the one who revealed it, because God cannot deceive. And so um, making the act of faith and trusting yourself to him, uh, and then we have the whole discourse on faith-seeking understanding, uh, that as you profess faith, you seek understanding, then you understand more, and then you love more, and then you see mysteries that you didn't see before, and then you seek to understand them, and it kind of compounds. So that's just, I wanted to share that because I think a lot of times our problems are um, a problem of trust, and we can get into despair, and we can start listening to that uh, whisper of God's not trustworthy, which is same thing Satan whispered to Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. Oh, he doesn't, he doesn't really have your best interest in mind. You need to take this into your own hands. You should probably eat that fruit. It'll let you see like him. You'll be able to be like him. You'll be able to choose good and evil. He's not trustworthy. The Don't Father's trust not trustworthy. Yeah. And so instead of that saying, no, I do trust, and now in this act of trust I'm going to seek. Um, it's hard. It's hard. It's really hard. A thousand difficulties. I don't want a thousand difficulties, <laughs> but I've seen them. The not just a thousand, ten thousand. Oh, ten thousand. It says do not make up one. What doubt. about ten thousand one? Yeah, maybe uh, seven, so, seven times or seven times seventy times. Sometimes people come in and they'll they'll talk about doubts, and sometimes it's nice to clarify that that difficulties, temptations, mm-hmm. uh, questioning the um, aren't the same thing as a sort of despair, and. So it's not, it's something like maybe an analogy can be the love of someone, say the love of a parent, mm-hmm. uh, like a good parent. If you're, if you're honest and you have enough experience or a ch- maybe of a child, the, you will know that there's difficulties, that you'll see, oh, their motivation for that love or what they call love is about them or it was using me for this, or it was about, um, it's just words, or all kinds of reality in a fallen world that can make you wonder whether or not this is true, whether they're trustworthy when they say, um, I love you. But it's there, and you're going to run into difficulties. You're going to run into difficulties with human relationships, even the best, and then also with God. Like, how does this make sense? How does this piece make sense? How, why don't I feel God in this situation? Would, you know, so mm-hmm. 10,000 difficulties, count them up, <laughs> log them, and until you get to 10,001, you have to stay <laughs> trusting. If you get 10,001, call us and we'll, uh, we'll try and help you out. Um, I think too, so a few, a few paragraphs later in the catechism, it acknowledges that, however, now we walk by faith, not by sight. We perceive mm. God mm. as in a mirror dimly, and only in part. And even though enlightened by him in whom it, uh, in whom it believes, faith is often lived in darkness and can be put to the test. And here it says it acknowledges. I mean, this isn't some easy thing. The world we live in often seems very far from the one promised to us by faith. Mm. Our experiences of evil, suffering, injustice, death, seem to contradict the good news. They can shake our faith and become a temptation against it. And then it says in paragraph 165, it is then we must turn to the witness of faith. And this is going back to our point of, is it enough to look to see mm. God being faithful to others? others yeah. And I love the ones that they address specifically. Because, yes, your friends who have stories of faith, your own experience, your parents, um, your favorite saint, whatever it may be. But listen to the ones that the Catechism gives us. Turn to the witness of faith, to Abraham, who in hope believed against hope. So the man who's old and barren uh, would have a son. And then once he had a son, was even willing to sacrifice him, trusting in God's word that he would fulfill his promise of from his son raising up a a nation. So Mm -hmm. in there, uh, that's sometimes interpreted by Abraham's belief in resurrection. Uh, even in that, that God can resurrect from the dead even. Um, so mm. in these things, in these struggles, in anything that we can experience too, Abraham showed this, the faith, the father in faith. And through that faith, he was justified, not the law. Through his faith, he was justified. The next, to the Virgin Mary, who in her, quote, pilgrimage of faith, end quote, 
walked into the, quote, night of faith, end quote, in sharing the darkness of her son's suffering and death and to so many others. So Mary, in accepting Jesus in the incarnation, the word of the angel, without seeing, saying, be it done unto me according to your will, entered into this darkness of faith, this night of faith that is all of Christ's mission on this earth that we don't see entirely how it's going to happen. And then she walked into uh, Calvary with him and, and not understanding entirely why or how or what suffered that with him, suffered death, but with the faith that he would conquer it. Um, so I think Abraham and Mary are the two that we look to. Uh, and then to so many others. And I love, uh, he quotes St. Paul, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Well, I say St. Paul. It's from Hebrews. I think Paul wrote Hebrews. Uh, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> that's, another, that's another podcast. Yeah, we'll take um, it. But therefore, since you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... That there yeah, are. That's Hebrews. Uh, I, I think yeah, yeah. there's there's something you can rest in that. And then what is that last line about Jesus? Uh, Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Of our faith. Just watch him at the yeah. end. You know, if you say, okay, take that example of disappointments with you didn't get your job, you didn't get your spouse, you are still sick, you, you know, someone you love has died, and then you say, well, yeah, but God has, you know, God is trustworthy beyond that. His providence transcends that you don't know whatever and then you got jesus and so you can say well i'm not dead yet (laughs) i'm not dead yet god can come through and then you got jesus who he's stumbling under his cross he's going to his death and people are like yeah you're getting pretty close (laughs) you know does god really love you if he does come down from that cross this is your last chance and he's like i'm not dead yet i'm not dead yet (laughs) and then he dies and still God proves his, his faithfulness, his trustworthiness. He raises him from the dead. And Jesus took it to the very end and beyond what we can, you know, to the point of death. You know, I can die without these things being figured out. And, of course, Jesus is the second person. And <laughs> he's, he's got, you know, full knowledge and all that stuff. Uh, this used language that I just want to point out when you're struggling with trust, I find it helpful to use the biblical language and the biblical formula for the fulfillment of, well, okay, so what do we trust? Why do we trust? Because God has promised things. Why did Abraham trust, or what did he trust? He trusted in the promise of God. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important for us. In fact, I think everyone out there should make a list of what they have noticed in the scriptures, not just in their personal life, but in the scriptures, what does Jesus promise to me? And maybe in the sacraments as well. What does What is promised to me? So these are two that came to mind. There's lots. You know, you're going to want to go through the scriptures and just list. <laughs> promised through the prophets, promised through by Jesus himself, um, in his words. Here's, here's two of them that I love. Um, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Okay, I am with you always. So that's a promise made by Christ that even in my doubts, I am, if I say, or my difficulties, if I say, I don't think God is there, I'm wrong. You know, because he had, he had promised that and his promises are true and I can rely on those promises. So I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. There's no condition on that either. I am unfaithful. I'm a bad person. I didn't practice this right, whatever. (laughs) I am with you always. And then another one that I love is remain in me and you will bear much fruit. Mm. So when I have a hard time judging my own life and I say, man, I'm not a very good Catholic. I'm not a very good priest. Um, I'm becoming a worse person as I get 40 and beyond. And... I can I can trust that God is doing great things with my life because he has he has promised that. He promised that in baptism, he promised that to me and um but that by his grace and remaining in him that my life is bearing fruit. We can't always our life is hidden with God in Christ. So we can't always assess 
Like, where's the good? If I'm looking around and I'm saying, ah, I'm supposed to be a saint. The <laughs> saints are doing awesome stuff. Mother Cabrini was starting hospitals and orphanages <laughs> and schools. And here I am. But Jesus said, I'm going to do great things with and, and I'll show you on the other side. I know. Yeah. Amen. Well, thanks, Brother Mike. Uh, well, you're welcome. That's all I got. You got shout-outs? Thank you, Deacon, Reverend, Mister. <laughs> uh, shout-out to... Oh, man, I always shout-out my family. But I'm going to do it again because uh, this memory book was compiled by my mom and my sister, Nancy and Hannah. They put together the scrapbook and reached out to a bunch of my friends and family and got pictures and some little anecdotes and stories and uh, kind of little honorings and stuff like that and compiled a book. And I'm super grateful for that. That helps um, helps me to remember all of the, just the beauty in my life and helps me to express gratitude. And then for a shout out to Sarah, who sent me a birthday sandalwood candle and it arrived and it has no return address. It's from, you know, return address from the company. <laughs> and then there's a card inside that shows that it's an artisanal candle and made by someone. Limited edition. And then on the back it says um, something like, uh, hope you love it, Sarah. <laughs> and I don't know if hope you love it, Sarah, was the candle maker selling it to whoever gets it. Or if Sarah bought it and sent it to me for my birthday and um, just as a gift to the podcast. So we're using that candle for Lord's Day and it's uh, got this sacred place now. And thank you, Sarah. <laughs> you're cool. Whether you're candle maker or you're gift giver. <laughs> um, I'm just going to shout out my friends, uh, Evan and Katie. Just good friends here in Denver doing their, uh, doing their life well, uh, raising their daughter. And uh, yeah, it's just good to hang out with them. So they were on mine, so they get a shout out. There you go. That's all I got. Well, Peace thanks, man. And blessings. Uh, we'll see you next time. Trust in the Lord. <laughs> Do good, do go, do good. (laughs) That's the song we sing at Lord's Day. Trust in the Lord and do good. But there's a typo. Psalm 137. It says, do go. Do go. Do go. Yeah, they both. (laughs) Go. Go in peace. Yay. (laughs) 